fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. Who is this we? This, this notorious, infamous we? Well, we are the Brain Trust. Who is this brain trust? Quit asking questions to start answering them, Dan. Well, it's easy enough. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, as always, the other member of the brain trust, our physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Well, it's great to be here, Dan. It was a close one. I almost forgot we were recording, but I was playing back my memories, and I remembered, oh, I'm part of a podcast, and it's a lot of fun. So I came and we're here. So it's all working out. Great. Technology saves the day once again. I love it, Denon. Glad you're here. And of course, when it comes to technology, the first person that anyone thinks of is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, dare I ask, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan, I'm in this beautiful old bank lobby here, and it look, but it looks like it's now being used to hold a brain-machine interface device. I'm so excited to learn more about how it works. I'm sure that you are, Ben. I have a sneaking suspicion that we're actually looking into your secret underground lair, but I'm going to save that question for another day. Uh, so this is, a, this is a show that was inspired by this movie, Reminiscence. Now, I have to say, uh, the show, the movie was, you know, kind of iffy. I happen to love film noir, so I, I, I don't have a bad thing to say about it. But the one thing that I thought was really interesting is that this movie is about the aforementioned brain machine. It's about collecting your memories. But the most interesting thing that I thought this movie had in it was the fact that Miami is completely flooded. Uh, this was a very interesting part of the movie because it, it it is the setting, but a lot of this stuff takes place indoors. But they spent a lot of time getting this right and I believe, Denon, they got this so right, you were extremely impressed by this. Oh, I was. This was, you know, as, as people who are watching our, our podcast or listening to it, since that's usually what you do with a podcast, um, as people who are following our podcast know. Well, let me say this. You can watch this podcast. Let's not bury the lead here, Denon. We are, we painstakingly are recording this. But if you happen to be listening to it, you're getting a very similar experience. Yeah, I just hope if you're listening to it, or I mean, let, let me take that back. If you're driving, you're listening to it, not watching it. Let's just be safe, everyone out there. You know, we are, Absolutely. if nothing else, we are a public service. Uh, but <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, if you have really been know. listening, watching, and obviously only listening and driving, then you know that I've become an apocalypse cynic, that I think most presentations of the apocalypse are not accurate. Because we all know I know what the future is because I've done my time loop and come back. Um, this there, this yeah. movie really seems to be, to me, uh, a very good um, kind of depiction of part of what the apocalypse might be. Um, by the way, Dan, just as a side note, did I get enough references to past episodes in those three sentences? Not specifically. We're going to work on that a little bit. We'll get them specifically, and then you'll see them up in the corner of the little YouTube video <laughs> for a link. But I think we did do one on the future of technology, which did include apocalypses. So we will apocalypse. Uh, so we will have those for sure. And as you mentioned, you know, the apocalypse typically takes place in the future, although some people would argue that we are in currently in the midst of an apocalypse. Uh, but so this movie does take place in the future. So this is, you know, this may be a grim look at what's going to happen to us. Uh, ben, what did you think about this? 
it's a very, I think, unfortunately, realistic view of the fate of places like Miami. Uh, <laughs> you know, Miami is a very low-lying place, uh, and while they show seawalls uh, in in the movie that are protecting some dry land, and there's the whole social commentary going on there about how you know the rich people have a dry land. The sad reality for a place like Miami is that really won't work. Uh, Miami has very porous ground and the water will come through the land everywhere because it's built on limestone. And I really, you know, you, you can't do that. What would happen is that area, if they somehow did manage to seal a dry area, it would end up popping up and floating like a bathtub in the ocean because you can't actually... Uh, do that in Miami because the water comes up everywhere. By the way, Ben, I, you just made me realize something. I, I have no real good sense of geography when I'm watching movies, um, maybe not even in real life. I thought the dry land where the rich people were was kind of farther away and outside of Miami and not part of it. So mentally in my head, hmm. that's why I was okay with it. Um, I don't know how far away it needs to be from Miami <laughs> for it to be safe because pretty much all of Florida is flat, as I understand it, and a swamp. Um, but it just, that's how I solved it in my head. The rich people were dry, but farther away. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any, I don't, I th you have to go pretty far, uh, up, up Florida to get away from the limestone. And if you go much past Miami, you're just in the Everglades, which, uh, doesn't really help you. Uh, so uh, no, definitely not. Well, you did, you, we raised a lot of interesting questions here that I want to get to. Uh, but first is you mentioned that th this is happening already in Miami. I'm going to put a couple links up on the website mm -hmm. of, you know, what Miami looks like now, what it will look like in 10 years, what it'll look like in 50 years. Uh, it's, it's pretty devastating. And there's a great article about what's happening and what, what the kind of predictive future is going to look like. But you know, a city that's underwater, we don't want to see it, but we have seen it, you know, currently, I believe. Venice, I'm going to say Venice, uh, Italy, not Venice, California. Venice, California is a very different, <laughs> very different ball of wax there. Uh, but in Venice, Italy, you've got canals, you've got people going around on boats. Some people even think it's romantic. So I don't want to say that a climate change destroying my, Miami uh, is necessarily in the future. And I don't want to say it's romantic, but maybe there's not, you know, maybe it's not all bad, Dennis. Well, I think it. it all bad, not all bad, that's kind of not really where you want to um, talk about it. But what I do think is critical and what I liked about the movie is it pointed to the fact that we're kind of not really, I think, moving fast enough in what I would call mitigation, right? We're, we're reaching a point with climate change where it's just going to be harder and harder to go backwards without some flooding and some period of this. And I like Venice because... It's a nice example. I don't know how salty the water actually is in Venice, but it's basically connected to the ocean. So you've got some level of salt water problems. Again, if you've watched our podcast, you know we've talked about the challenge with salt water and construction. Um, it would take, and, and you know, Ben already mentioned the problem with limestone. You know, the engineering mitigation so that you have a working Miami with canals um, is a challenge. But it's it, what. What I like is there's a small modicum of hope there to say that if you actually start some design for it, start some planning for it, we actually can, I think, engineer cities that have waterways and canals. Um, but it's not, it's, it's, it's not trivial. It's not like, oh, yeah, okay, we'll just do that when we need to. You really have to plan. I, I don't know, Ben, what are some of the key engineering things our listeners should be start doing and investing in so that they can make money in the future in this situation? 
Well, I mean, first, probably not Miami. I think Miami's uh, not in good shape for when this happens. I love, uh, that, I, I love I, that you went to the capitalist part of that. Like, how can we make money off this? The apocalypse is coming. How can we benefit? Uh, go, but go. Well, well wait, before Ben goes, Dad, we know the best way to motivate a capitalist economy is with capitalist reasons, right? So if we're going to want to mitigate, I think we need to put some incentives out there. And I know it sounds harsh. It sounds cruel. But it also has a, an element of hope. Well, so if, if we're going to convert all of our coastal cities to Venice-like situations, the big thing about Venice is, yes, it's, it's, it's effectively in the ocean, but it's in a lagoon that is surrounded by a breakwater. It's surrounded by basically some barrier islands. And the critical thing to saving our coastal cities, if we allow them to be Venice-like where they're flooded, is you need those barrier islands. You need something to break the water so that you don't actually have wave action in the canals in the city. If that's happening, no building is surviving that. No building is surviving constant one-foot ocean waves uh, battering them constantly. The The windows will quickly break and then uh, the walls will fall down. The support pillars will break. You can't have that moving water going on at a minimum. Uh, so the the biggest step will be somehow building much, much taller breakwaters, barrier islands to keep potentially help keep the water level lower, but also to keep the wave action out of the cities themselves. Well, you know, I think this is, LA is an interesting case study here because you're talking about basically, you know, Denon is kind of pointing to it and you are saying it, Ben, is that you're re-engineering a city that was designed for one thing and now you've got to redesign it for an entirely different environment. You know, and LA is kind of an interesting case study. Number one, because there is a Venice, California that does have canals, uh, but they, I don't know if you guys have ever been there. You should definitely go. But they're more for show. They're not really, people do cruise around in them, but they're not functional per se. This is going to be functional. And you look at the subway system, right? Like we had a great public transportation system uh, in the 50s, 40s and 50s. Uh, it was decimated. Now that was above ground. I don't think they had subways back then, but right now- They had some. Did they? Okay. Um, So they took them out. But now you've got, we're we're having to re-drill entire subway systems on top of one of the most populous cities in the world, which is also drilling through a tar pit, which is a whole whole nother (laughs) nother, uh, issue. Uh, But this is difficult. It it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's very expensive. It's very time-consuming. And as these waters are rising, you're not going to have that kind of time. So I think that this is, you know, this is a very interesting case study is what I'm trying to say. I, I like, Dan, that you pointed out the time factor, and this is the real challenge with climate change because it, it is a, a pressing um, problem. It's growing, and I definitely don't want to minimize the damages that's being caused even right now and the potential damage in the future. But we're truly trying to balance these two timescales of reducing climate change versus mitigating and redesigning so we can live in climate change. Uh, now, mm-hmm. my fans right. know I'm a huge Disney fan. And I was recently in Disneyland. And it just struck me as you ride the train, right? And you see the Grand Canyon now. And then you see that accurate depiction of the Grand Canyon back with the dinosaurs that only Disneyland can do. And you realize... <laughs> Okay, the world was a very different climate, way warmer, way more humid, way more swampy, and and the dinosaurs lived in it. And so I'm just going to connect back. I think people should watch our Flintstones episode because I'm I'm being more and more convinced of your argument, Dan, that that's the future. But that's another shameless plug, my goal for today to set a record. But 
it, it really becomes this design issue and do we have time? And, and Ben, you mentioned breakwaters. I'm also curious, like, do we have to do things to the actual buildings though? I mean, even though you remove the wave action, I feel like there's there's basic construction materials that might be in danger here when you get when you get this more seawater mixing in. Here, before you say that, Ben, I got to say one thing to answer you, Denon, really quickly, because I think this is interesting, is in Egypt, in the Sahara Desert, the driest place on land right now, they found a whale, a, a killer whale with four legs. Uh, so it's basically a cross between like um, an aggressive dolphin and a wolf. I, I think that's how it was described. I'm going to put a, a, a thing on the website. But my point is that was an ocean at one point or at least covered in water. It's now a desert. So, the you know, the landscape changes dramatically uh, over those millions of years. Anyway, I had to put, stick that in there. All right, Ben, answer Denon's very important question about this infrastructure. Before I get to construction, I do want to comment. That's actually one of the awesome things about whales and dolphins is, you know, we think about animals coming out of the ocean, you know, way back in evolution. And we kind of think that the things in the ocean just stayed. And that's where the dolphins and whales come from. But that's not true. The dolphins and the whales come from wolves going back <laughs> into the water. <laughs> so it's so crazy. It's so weird to think about. But, you know, things have gone in and out of the ocean throughout time. Uh, so, you know, that's a fun little evolution story. Uh, but ba back to the construction. Yeah, saltwater sucks. Uh, and we would have to do a lot more than just uh, than just uh, build breakwaters. You know, it, it, you know, we, we look at the very devastating thing, uh, apartment building collapse that happened in Miami, uh, a few or condo building collapse that happened in Miami a, a few months ago. That was caused just by kind of salt spray and humid, salty air. Uh, we saw what happened to the concrete just kind of from like a little bit of flooding plus that. Um, and you can imagine that this reinforced concrete, it is not designed to be submerged. And certainly the services of the city are not designed to be submerged. The water pipes, the power lines, the internet lines, the, the sewers, all of that stuff is now underground. And if you can't seal those compartments and constantly pump them out, uh, all of the services are going to be lost. And and in some ways, I kind of got the sense from the movie <laughs> that that is actually what happened. It kind of looked like he maybe had his own generator. The city power wasn't there anymore. And I think the reality is the you're going to have individual solar plants on everybody's roof, or maybe we're going to be stringing power lines, skyscraper to skyscraper on the top. <laughs> uh, and you'll have to move the service panels because anything under that water line, you're just going to have to reinforce it so it can survive the salt. And you're going to have to kind of abandon all of the utilities that are down there. You know, that infrastructure comment, Ben, it's very timely. I have a very good friend I'm going to put a plug in for, Professor Brett Sanders here at UCI. One of his recent studies was showing how erosion can have this multiple effect where if the ero dirt erodes around the main pipes, they no longer are supported, and now the pipes can fail and break and then create more erosion with more water. Oh, wow. So you're exactly right. Like, this infrastructure situation is very challenging. Yeah. Well, I mean, it seems like something that is... I mean, it's that's part of the deal, right? Like the infrastructure is is a big part. But I think of this incoming water, right? I mean, besides human beings having to live now basically in a boat, 
You know, you basically have to live in a boat or on top of a building uh, where they do have a lot of panels. There's a couple things here. We'll talk about this in a second, but it's too hot. Everyone's become nocturnal. They can't even stay outside during the day because it's too hot. But also when you have the water coming in, it's not just water. There's sea life that comes in there as well. And you've got, you know, all the land dwelling animals that can't, you know, evolve legs really, you know, in a matter of two generations to go into the ocean. They're dead. They can't, I mean, they can't survive that, you know, a, a beaver can't exactly they can build dams but they can't build boats you know um so they're they're gonna have a problem uh but also you know you've got the the currents are warming up the ocean's gonna be warmer you're gonna have other animals coming in you know you guys this is no secret that i'm terrified of sharks with this type of 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 situation going on here we got water coming into the 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 cities and you're everyone's living in the water you got sharks i'm i'm imagining that you know forget the raccoons uh forget possums sharks are going to be the next terror the next vermin we're going to have to eliminate uh from the the canals here uh, what do you think about this what do you think about the live the the, the uh the uh the that the livestock that's not the word i'm looking for the biology you know what I'm trying to say here. The animals, Denon. What do you think's going on with them? How do you feel about that? Well, first of all, I think you just created a new motto for the show, Dan, which is Deaver, uh, Deavers. Beavers can build dams, but they can't build boats. Uh, I just think that <laughs> should be on a T-shirt. I don't know why. Going on a shirt. Pe- people will just look at you and go, that's cool, but I don't know why that's cool. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. If nothing else... All I can picture, and it's probably not going to be mostly great white sharks. The vermin are mostly going to be sharks of a range of sizes. But as you were talking, Dan, that's all I could picture is, you know, the difference between the trap you have to build for the mice, you know, when I put out my mice mouse traps versus my great white shark trap. Um, it's a right. very different uh, scale of dealing with um, an infestation. <laughs> But right. my, my main answer to that is I'm just not getting in the water, right? Like that's like a simple cure to not being attacked by sharks. Uh, but it is, it is fascinating that the time scale, it just comes back to the time scale again. You know, the flooding and, you know, how quickly will animals move around? How quickly will they adapt? Because you're right. They're not going to evolve on these time scales. But, you know, they, they, they do migrate. They do move to new um, habitations. And what's going to happen with them? Um, is is really an interesting thing. And it really, not just for the animals, you know, so much of this, whether you're trying to control the new animals that come in, do the construction Ben mentioned, you know, the movie does point out, you know, the increasing gap between, you know, the wealthy and the not so wealthy, right? That's going to play a big factor, unfortunately, in, in what sort of situation you get to create. Even if you can't do it in Miami, because you're trying to make the land thing, it'll pop up as Ben described. I, I like that image too. I'm getting a lot of good images from this show. Um, <laughs> but you know, Ben, where would you put all these animals? Are, are you hoping they they migrate, or are they just not going to make it? I mean, the reality is, I hope they make it. But the, the the sad reality, especially you know, we see already there's horrible effects going on in the ocean. There's dead zones because you know the currents are changing so there's a lot there in certain places there's a lot less oxygen in the water as the water heats up certain animals uh, aren't able to reproduce as well as they used to that you know you have this thing about like sea turtles like sea turtles come up on beaches and reptiles specifically so turtles uh, also crocodiles with the crocodilians like alligators all those they're like the sex of their eggs is determined by the temperature of the nest yeah and if the temperature gets too high all of a sudden all of their um animal all their all their animals all of their babies are going to be the same sex and that's going to very quickly right. uh, cause those species to become extinct 
Um, and I, you know, I'm sure there's similar effects on sharks and other things where there's lack of oxygen, the ocean is acidifying because there's more carbon dioxide in the air, the carbon gets dioxide gets absorbed by the ocean, which makes it more acidic, which is bad for the ocean life. So maybe we don't have to worry about the sharks. Maybe they'll just be dead because the ocean is so inhospitable in the future. Well, the alligators, that's a great, <laughs> alligators and crocodilians, I think, are they, are alligators in the crocodilian family? Alligators are crocodilians, Uh uh, but so are the caimans and the gharials and the crocodiles themselves. Right. Well, so and I mentioned sharks. That's probably a little silly. I think we actually have to worry about the crocodiles and the alligators that are coming in from the Everglades. Especially in Florida. Especially in Florida and Miami. (laughs) That's going to be the problem. And those things, they're pretty cool. I was just listening to a whole podcast on them, and I learned that little fact that you mentioned, Ben. I didn't think about mentioning it, but that's a great point, um, is that you know people talk about how one or two degrees isn't going to matter. But these are... These are idiots. I'm going to just go out and say it. I don't like calling people names, but if you think that one or two degrees on a global scale doesn't matter, you don't know what you're talking about. And you definitely shouldn't. You can have that opinion, but don't be making any decisions because as you mentioned, the sex of an alligator, it's determined by a few degrees. And that's exactly right. I think think it's like a seven to 10 degree difference, whether you're male or female. And if it gets really hot, it's going to be all males running around. And trust me, nobody wants that. (laughs) Nobody wants that. Especially the crocodiles who then can't reproduce uh, because as everyone knows, you need a male and a female to reproduce. I mean, that's that's basic biology there. Yeah, you'll have a bunch of angry male alligators who can't find mates uh, <laughs> searching around for them. Right. And also, the males are bigger. So... Yeah. Even even worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then they're dead in a generation. I mean, this is this is terrible. Um, but you know, one of the things that's also interesting here that we didn't mention is the seawater. Salt water is is terrible. You know, I mean, it's terrible for a couple different reasons. Not terrible for the animals who live in it, but for the land dwelling, freshwater drinking folk like the three of us and most other human beings, it's a problem. Um, number one, you know, some of these, if salt water is suddenly flooding your city, you've got these, this underground infrastructure where your fresh water is pumped in. Now, all of a sudden those could get corrupted and now you don't have any fresh water. Uh, I mean, brackish, you know, brackish water is the combination of salt and fresh water. Uh, it's still not drinkable. Um, and that's a whole different species of animal that can live in there as well. Um, but I wonder, um, if there is a way for animals to, this just popped into my head, but it's a way to animals, especially in a brackish water, to on a small scale, you know, not from an evolutionary scale, but from an adaptation scale, to be able to process brackish water over salt water or over fresh water. Is that possible? I'm guessing that that's not possible in any sort of time scale that would matter. What do you think, Ben? No, uh, most most animals are pretty highly adapted to one or the other. Okay. The crocodilians are some of the few animals that can make that transition. You know, we see saltwater crocodiles that can are totally fine in freshwater too. But when you start talking about fish, uh, the biology of fish is very balanced around their salt levels, and saltwater fish are designed to get salt out of their blood, despite the fact that the water is salty. Uh, whereas freshwater fish are designed to keep salt in despite the lack of salt in the water they live in. And so if you move those animals to the other, they either become hypersalted or totally unsalted, and it's a bad day for them. Yeah, and I think that's the same for the land animals. Their system is going to have a hard time adjusting. Um, luckily, we have our Brita filter pitchers. So, you know, Dan, we'll be okay. <laughs> I, well, that, would that actually work? I mean, I don't think you could... Su- 
do salt water into a Brita filter. I, I have no idea. I just made that up. But you know what? I'm oh, going yeah, go, to go design my salt water filter pitcher so that I'm ready. Yeah. See my earlier comment on economically taking advantage of this situation. <laughs> there, there you go, Dan. That, that's actually a pretty big deal. A good low energy salt water filter would be very valuable in the future. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I mean, I think that's actually a great use of capitalism is to find ways to desalinate the water around you and forget this freshwater problem. We'll make our own freshwater is basically basically what you're saying. Uh, I want to quickly, you know, obviously the, the, the ecology, the environment here is one of the cool things about this movie. But very quickly, there's a couple of fun memory things here that I just want to touch on very briefly. So in this movie, uh, it's it's essentially about a guy who has this this device where you sit in kind of a sensory deprivation tank. You're definitely sitting in a little bit of water. I don't think it's sensory deprivation. Not enough water there. But you're hooked up to these electrodes, and your memories are then broadcast on this uh, kind of screen, and you're able to, to relive them. Uh, this is kind of interesting from a couple of different points. Number one, the detail is very vivid, but also the one thing I want to mention is a lot of these memories appear to be in third person. Now, this is kind of the weirdest part to me. Uh, let th- ben, let's start with you as kind of our brain expert. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how this works and why are these memories in third person? Yeah, so this is one thing I really... Th- pondered about the third person versus first person because our memories general when generally when you think about an old time an old an old memory of your own you think about it from your perspective and this machine somehow projects a third person uh, version I do wonder if this is maybe the machine somehow filling in the gaps maybe it's scanning ahead and behind and it's you know capturing the whole environment uh, that you you do remember and it builds the environment and then it places your body in it. Uh, Another interesting thing is we have our own kind of warped perspective of what we look like. Uh, A lot of that is now fixed with mirrors, but uh, you know, if you think about uh, what, you know, kind of self portraits and self uh, sculptures looked like back in the day before mirrors, they had pretty distorted views of people or at least of themselves. And so th- there's <laughs> Don't definitely we all, a question. Ben. Don't we all? <laughs> there's a question there of, do you truly remember when you're remembering your own memory? Do you remember how you yourself looked in that memory? Or is, again, this machine maybe taking a 3D scan of you in the tube and filling in that data that way hmm. rather than always relying on your memory for every single detail. Well, you know, Ben, I do have to add one thing to that. You know, we we are doing this right now. We're, we're recording this, looking at ourselves. Um, I suspect, as you said, you know, self-portraits improved as mirrors got better. I'm curious which self-portraits you're referring to, though, because I think mirrors are pretty old. But that aside, <laughs> you know, we're, we're all getting, I think, way better at picturing ourselves because of the amount of time we're spending on Zoom. And this is in the future. And I don't foresee, I mean, Zoom usage will go down, but it's not going to go, you know, away. Um, so I do wonder if there's a little bit of Zoom helpage there. But you said something that I think is really is that a word, Dad? I don't know. Zoom helpage. <laughs> I, was say, I don't know. Zoom helpage. If it's not, we've just coined it. <laughs> Zoom helpage. I love it. But I, something you said, Ben, was was I think really brilliant, and I hadn't really thought of. Is I think there's a difference between the memory being displayed in the 3D 
thing, which is probably the computer enhancing and filling in a lot of details. I think there's a lot of computer power going in here versus the memory the person is actually experiencing. So I think there is a lot of AI behind this, a lot of interpolation, a lot of data recovery, and what they're watching um, is much more a memory-enhanced situation than the actual raw memory. Well, let me, let me say something here, because Den and you and I have talked about this a couple times when it comes to old memories, when, you, you know, as you access a memory, we've mentioned this on the show before, every time you access a memory, you alter it slightly. And at some point, the older the memory is, like, you know, let's say your little league game or, you know, crawling around in your crib, that's probably a little too old. Uh, but, you know, those early stages, right? The older it gets, the more you think about it, the more you start to see it in third person, especially as other people tell you about how they saw that event. Event as well. And now all of a sudden your memory is an amalgamation of other people's memories plus your own. Now that happens in, in so then I think we can kind of see in third person. Uh, ben, correct me if I'm wrong here. But the thing I want to mention here is this is a show, this is a technology, this is a service that's about reliving your memories over and over and over again uh, in a way that people almost become addicted to it. And so I don't know if that constant access, that co that, that constant uh, adjustment, that the um, how it's so malleable, does that affect it? Is that why we see it in third person? And maybe it's, maybe it's a little more of what it's pulling out of your brain, what it's extracting, as well as what uh, the technology is adding. Uh, what do you think, Ben? Yeah, I think... I think we do remember stuff and there's definitely a question of the unreliable narrator. That's one of the really interesting things about this technology is it seems that your brain rejects you accessing memories or uh, feelings and things that didn't actually happen. And so I have to wonder one, how that even works, but you, but you, but we change, we rewrite our own stories. So there's a question of, does this uh, hard copy of our memories maybe help us keep our memories more consistent because we're constantly reminded, at least of the original freshest version as recorded in the machine? Uh, you know, maybe we don't adjust that story to ourselves and we end up just reinforcing that one copy. Uh, you know, it, it's an interesting thought in that sense. Well, you know, I really like, Ben, that you now gave me another T-shirt line. We've got the beaver line, and I like how you started by pointing out, of course, we have memories, um, because we do. That was, that was the whole premise of this, <laughs> and that worked. But you also alluded to something very critical, is, is we, and we've talked about this before. And again, I'm going to give a plug to UCI, because apparently I'm just like plugging things today. You know, researchers at UCI you know, one of their specialties is studying and revealing how kind of unreliable memories are in, in, in crime, you know, in witness situations and how, you know, our memories can be false and, and, and very misleading. And what I found fascinating, Dan, about this, to your point exactly, right, our memories are reworked. That could be how we get third person. But in this world, they seem to be valid um, evidence in crime researchers, right? There's a whole ep scene with the police, and in the end, the guy's memories was used to convict him. So clearly, th they they feel like they've mastered a little bit um, getting at quote true memories because otherwise, why would you count them in in sort of crime cases? So there's an interesting twist there that goes against the current leading research on how sort of malleable and false memories can be. Could you imagine a future where you can subpoena your memories, uh, where you could have your memories taken, you know, by force legally uh, to be brought on as evidence in, in a case? That's that's very scary, very invasive. Um, but I feel like that's coming. 
Yeah, it, well, it brings up an interest, the interesting legal concept of mens rea, right? Where you have to have the, you know, the, the, the thought, the, the purpose, the intention of the crime. And one interesting thing I think there is, there's a diff, obviously there's a difference between what did happen and what the person thinks happened. And you can certainly, unfortunately, induce a confession, induce a thought in somebody that they are guilty of a crime, even if they, in fact, didn't do it. But then you have to ask the next question is if they've now formed this intention of doing the crime, even if they didn't actually do it, are they now maybe guilty because they wanted to do it? Wow. Oh, wow. Ben, you just got darker than I, I was feeling really guilty for being dark on the whole climate change thing. And, and now we're making people um, criminals by making them feel like they want to do crimes. I'm, I'm getting very nervous here. This is a scary episode, Dan. I, I will tell you, Ben has definitely lived up to that secret supervillain in, in everything that we've recorded. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I think that that's that's an interesting question. And it also, you know, we talk about what's going on inside of the brain and how we're adding memories. Or, or kind of adjusting uh, what's going on in the brain. There's two th concepts in here that I want to touch on before we finish here that I found very interesting. Now, it's blanking and burning. The first one, blanking, is asking a question, uh, but your brain does not, asking a question about a memory that doesn't actually exist in your brain. And then all of a sudden, the people kind of seize up, you know, like does not compute, like they're robots or something. That I thought was a very strange reaction. Um, and then burning, which is you have a memory that is basically on loop in your head uh, that seems to, you know, in some ways drive people crazy. These were two concepts. Let's talk about them uh, briefly. You can pick which one you want to do. Uh, ben, I'm going to go to you first as our brain guy. Uh, let's talk blanking and let's talk burning. Yeah, so these are interesting. And it goes along with that thought of the induced memory. Uh, and again, we should not be doing that. It's awful in our criminal justice system that we do have these false confessions that end up kind of becoming real confessions because right. of, that ends up being the story that somebody remembers. Um, and certainly we convince witnesses, unfortunately, of things that didn't happen because they're colored by crime dramas and other things that they've seen. And they combine that with the poor witness memories that they actually did have. Right. Uh, but... The, the blanking is fascinating because I think it's a concept that really doesn't exist in, from what we can tell, in our modern memories. Like, if you tell somebody a story that they don't have, generally they will kind of fill in the details and remember. There's all sorts of psychology experiments where if you kind of le give leading questions and leading uh, narrative to something that didn't happen, people will start remembering that story, even though it's false. Right, yeah. And so I do, considering how powerful this machine is, I have a hard time believing that you couldn't do that. And so then I wonder, maybe this machine is actually very ethical, and it's somehow able to tell that that memory doesn't exist, and it, it kind of prevents that overriding of the false memory into your brain. That's interesting. I like that, Ben. I was just going to say, Dan, real quickly on the blanking. It's, mm -hmm. For me, it's a little analogous to the fact that I, I often feel on the dreams I can remember because I, I, I actually shockingly remember more of my dreams. I, mm -hmm. I, I can't dream something I haven't experienced, it seems, um, in, in certain categories. Oh, interesting. Right? Like some things I can. Like I can dream like I'm falling or a sort of flying and some things occasionally happen because I think I've imagined them a lot while I'm awake and what I dream is what I imagine. But there are okay. moments where my dreams sort of fail 
and stop and like get stuck by, well, I don't really know what that's like, which is an interesting experience. And and the burning, I just, I, I really wonder, it's one of those areas I, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by and don't know enough about. Um, sadly, if this is something similar to things that happen to people with advanced dementia or, um, you know, Alzheimer's where what they really mostly remember are really old memories that are very solid and, and, and in the brain and not the new memories and they can't form new ones. And so they sort of get stuck in these, in these sort of burned memories like this machine does to people. So th- those are my two reactions, Dan, to that aspect of, of the movie. Well, what's interesting is in this movie, there's a physical reaction to them, right? Like we're talking about the psychological reactions, which makes yeah. sense. The the blanking doesn't make a lot of sense because if you said, hey, remember that time that you were on Mars? I wouldn't start to seize up. I would say I've never been to Mars. That's end of <laughs> story, right? Uh, but in this movie, people start to like seize up violently. Uh, but but the, the burning one is interesting. And I wonder if it does have something to do with some of these other, you know, mental issues that can maybe dementia, um, you know, uh, that that's an interesting thought because it does affect the memory, it does affect long-term memories, and some people can get caught in those loops. But again, people with dementia, you know, if it's not too far gone, they can function. They just may not know what time it is, what day it is, you know. Um, but they're not going to start seizing on the floor violently again, right? I mean, you know, it's it's a bad situation, but there's no physical reaction. And to me, that was the strangest part of this movie is that there's strange, strong physical reaction. Uh, if I'm remembering it correctly, I think there was. Uh, but let's quickly tell me about that, Ben. Uh, what do you think about this physical connection to these memories or reaction? Well, I mean, I think that makes sense. I mean, the the brain is your your body it's your consciousness that's the most important organ in the body so i think it does make sense i think on the blinking side i i think this further goes to the evidence of this thing being useful for evidence is that it can't implant a false memory you you kind of have a very physical reaction because somehow this brain machine interface fails to do a lookup and that somehow hurts you when it does that i do wonder if it doesn't work though for a false memory you've created yourself um, I think it would work on that. I think you would recall that self-false memory because how would it know the difference? Those are the same in your head unless you somehow know it's false. But if you knew it was false, then, yeah, you know, any, yeah. So, but th- th- then how could, then you probably wouldn't recall it in that situation. Right. Um, on the other hand, though, on the burning, that, that makes a lot of sense. I like that you brought up this dementia thing because, you know, people with, advanced dementia you know you they you hear about these stories of having a uh like a briefing flash of lucidity where they're normal but then other times you have a flash where they all of a sudden think they're a kid again they're you know going to the store to get some comic books or something and i think burning is kind of the same thing where somehow by forcing you to recall this memory and then upping that voltage you're somehow searing that recollection pathway into being the only kind of thing that's really left working in your brain. And of course you'll have a physical reaction. You know, we see that with Booth where he's reminded of being burned. Well, if you think you're being burned, you'll react like you're being burned, even though your 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 actual nerves aren't being burned and, and firing, your brain thinks they are. And it'll be just the same, even though you're not physically under attack like he was in his uh memory. Now I want to point out there, you mean burned by like fire, uh, not burned Physically like the memory burned. burned. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> a little confusing yes. there. It is convenient that his horrible memory is being burned 
while he's being burned. burned. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Just to add a layer of, of confusion. Add a layer of clarity, then, and I know you wanted to add a layer of clarity. Oh, yeah. No, I, I just think I think that's exactly right what Ben was going. I do like, you know, when you when you talk about it, Dan, you know, the burning, that physical reaction. I mean, I think you do see people with dementia and Alzheimer's occasionally having physical reactions to their confusion. And certainly the blanking, I think Ben's exactly right. That's the safety feature, right, kicking in that you're if you're being forced down one and your brain's resisting it. As your brain resists, there's going to be a physical reaction to that resistance because your brain hopefully is still connected to your body while this this process is going on. I think so. I mean, what I love about this movie is there's so many, there's actually some really fun things in it, uh, despite the fact that I think, Ben, you pointed out that it has the, it's the lowest grossing film uh, that's opened up in 3,000 theaters ever. I think that that is a shame because there's some fun stuff in this movie, uh, some stuff that, you know, people don't even, that people don't even really think about, I think, enough. But luckily, we've done it. We've given them the things to think about. Um, and I think there's some great stuff in here. We have now come to our favorite part of the episode, or at least mine, which is our airs additions and omissions section. Now, this is things we wanted to talk about, but we didn't quite get to. Denon, was there anything about reminiscence or this topic that you wanted to talk about that we didn't quite get to? Uh, well, two quick things. I, I do want to make it very clear. I said it in the middle of the episode, but I'll say it again. I do think climate change is, is a very big challenge and a tragedy, and we really need to work on it in case I, I seem cavalier and capitalistic about it. Um, but <laughs> But, you know, I do think capitalism will help solve it. So there you are. Um, but my real sort of omission that we didn't get to discuss, and I want to be sensitive to this because I'm with, I don't know, I think you and, you and I are on the same page, Dan, that this actually is a way better movie than it ever got credit for. I mm -hmm. think people did think not so. watch it with the appropriate um, perspective. I think this is going to be one of those classic cult classics, if I can say that, um, in the future, sure. um, if we still have movies in the future. and. Right. And we'll, we'll just need scuba gear to watch them. That's all. Right. We'll just need the scuba gear. But I also found um, the female character in this, whose name I now forgot, who interacts with Hugh Jackman's character, to have some of the most clever, clever sort of things in a movie like this ever. I'm not going to specify what they are. I think she she's fascinating as a character. Very, very smart. Very sort of um, resourceful. Um, and I love her, her, her story and her transition and the way we find it kind of from memories and not from memories and in and out. I just found that a fascinating part of this movie. And I wanted to plug that in our additions point because I just think it's so important to say. Yeah, well, and to comment to your first part, you know, every crisis presents itself an opportunity, be it capitalistic or not. So feel no shame and that at all, Den, and you are an American, for God's sakes. <laughs> uh, what about you, Ben? Is there anything in this movie that we missed that you wanted to talk about? Well, I, I think I just want to reiterate the whole idea of nostalgia and the past being addictive and, and feeling more comfortable in it. You know, there's a great, uh, uh, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, uh, by John Hodgman, one of his favorite lines is, you know, nostalgia is our most toxic impulse, this this yearning for this pa the past and our willingness to try to bring it back and get stuck in it and not look forward is really dangerous, both with climate change and with our lives when it comes to memory and whatnot. You know, Hugh Jackman's character, he's kind of disrupted in living his own life by being stuck on the past. Yeah, it's cool. And he solves a great m murder mystery and all this stuff through exploring the past but he's still trapped by it and there's a there's a problem in our lives these days that we keep hoping for a past that we probably 
almost certainly can't get back to. And we really need to work together to make a better future and let the past be the past. Wow, you guys went a little dark, uh, very heady in, in your Dares Dishes and Omission section. Well, I, uh, I just have to say, Dan, I yeah. love Ben's message. Let the past be the past and let's make the future better. Uh, that's very optimistic. That's bright. I'm, I'm, I'm cheered up now. I'm feeling better. Sure. sure no, I guess, I guess you're right. I mean, I feel kind of silly with mine. Um, but, you know, I, I just I want to reiterate that I love film noir. Uh, there's this uh, lounge singer scene, which which is my favorite. I've always wanted to go to a nightclub where they had like a lounge singer like that um, that comes out, interacts with the audience, kind of like in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I'm not hip enough to know of a place in L.A., but if anyone knows one, you know, let me know. Let me know on social media. I want to know where to go with this. And also, this is the silliest thing that uh, I love to tell people. I mentioned the La Brea Tar Pits. Uh, well, the La Brea Tar Pits. Uh, La Brea means the tar. So if you if it's all translated, it's the the tar tar pits. Uh, the La Brea Tar Pits. The the tar tar pits is one of my favorite little pieces of information. But <laughs> anyway, hopefully you enjoyed that. Now it is time for our questions from the audience. Uh, I have one here. This one's pretty interesting. This one comes to us from Mr. Mr. Jockboy1123. Uh, loved the upload episode, but after watching the series, I was concerned about the lack of choices when it came to your digital ever after. When it comes to dating sites, you can find a mate based on hobbies, conspiracy affiliation, or even your favorite zoo animal. But for some reason, every heaven seemed to be like a country club of some sort. If you could design your own place to spend eternity, what would it look like? Uh, so I think that's an interesting question. We kind of touched on it a little bit in the show, but then, and I'm curious if you could design a place where you were going to spend the rest of your existence, uh, what would it look like? Well, you know, I'm assuming our viewers have now, you know, kind of watched some of our other episodes, listened to them. And I think there would definitely be books to read, golf to play and chocolate chip cookies to eat. I'm having trouble getting much past that. I'm kind of stuck in my own little loop here. My memory loop is getting burned in of, of all the chocolate chip cookies I've eaten over the years. Um, and, and so it's hard to get out of that memory loop once it's being burned. Um, but I definitely would, you know, I, I think I would like try. Oh, and 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 Disney movies because I I am weird in that direction. Um, so I, I I think it's yeah, you know, I think just leisure. I would be very leisure focused. But I'm I'm an interesting person. My leisure also intersects with my work. So there would probably be some foam studies to do, um, which I just view as fun, <laughs> right? Like um, there would there you know um, you know eat a chocolate chip cookie, go out play some golf, study some foam, repeat. Um, right. Rinse, lather, and repeat, as they say, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. With foam. You, you can't lather without foam. Everyone exactly. knows that. It all sure. comes together. It all comes together. All comes together. What about you, Ben? What are you doing for eternity? Well, you know, for a second, Denon made me think with the foam, you know, maybe I'd want to be somewhere more fun where you can kind of do those, you know, extreme sports and not worry about, you know, the grotesque injuries afterward. You know, I think about falling in the foam pits and all this kind of stuff. You know, you could have a lot of fun. And I think that's the big thing about this retirement is why not have fun things, be able to travel, be able to ride a dirt bike in the X Games or, you know, pull a 1080 on a skateboard, which I still don't think anyone's done. I think they've only gotten up to 900s. You know, <laughs> it's retirement. It's in a computer. Be able to try some cool stuff when you don't have to worry about getting hurt. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I would say jumping into a foam pit is probably not, most people wouldn't classify that as an extreme sport, but I, I understand what you're saying. Well, that's how you practice for your 1080. You know? Sure. <laughs> Launched into a foam pit. Uh, those are a lot of fun. I, I, I love those as well. Uh, I, you know, I went a little different on this. I, I think that having 
some kind of adventure, you know, like a I like like an MMO, you know, like a multiply massive player online mm. role playing game. I think I got those words mixed up. You guys know what I'm saying, you know, like a Warcrafty type of of adventure. I would like that, especially if you couldn't die. It seems like it would be a lot of fun. Some of the side adventures uh, can be a little tedious, which is why I don't play them a lot anymore. But I think that that kind of world would be a lot of fun. Fill your life with adventure. Just sitting around playing golf at a country club for you know thousands of years or whatever it is uh that just that seems super boring to me that's not what i would want to do adventure that's how i'm designing it uh but if you have any ideas on this if you've got anything that you want to mention anything that we forgot you can get in touch with the show we're easy to get a hold of you can find the show on twitter at f triple g bt pod we're on Facebook at FGGBT, and we've got an email address, guys. It is questions at FGGBT.com. Easy to get a hold of. And so is Denon. Where can people get a hold of you if they want to do such a thing, Denon? Well, they can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Just flip my name at Denon Michael. Actually, you can find me more on Twitter than Instagram, but you know, I am the same on both. But Facebook, it's a little different. You got to stick in a prof. It's at prof Denon Michael. Ben. Where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at The Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, make sure you're subscribed and always rate and review. And if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, hit that like button, subscribe and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful scientific information that can be misused by those hell bent on world domination. You don't want to be one of those people. We preach on the show. You want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com and before you leave don't forget to check out our other episodes you can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio only version depending on what you like we got it for you and if you do like those videos you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well we're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn and once again if you like this show you're going to like everything that I do go to DanielJGlenn.com to find out more thank you for listening